As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello, uh, welcome to the latest edition of On Farm Scotland. I'm Anna Davis and this time we are in rural Aberdeenshire with Ed Smith. Ed is from Norvite who are specialists in animal nutrition. Norvite have a really, really positive story to tell all about the development of their new cattle feed product, Neolac. Neolac replaces soya and controversial palm oil products which are often imported from places like South America and Indonesia with cold-pressed rapeseed oil which is all grown by farmers within just a few miles of this very plant. Neolac is a brilliant Scottish sustainability success story. Oh gosh, a bit of a tongue twister there. And Ed took time out to show me how it's produced starting with the very moment the lorry load of oilseed rape first arrives at the plant. So we keep a, a sample of every uh, load that's delivered. Yeah, so here we are, the very beginning. That Those are the little black, little black rape seeds. Rape seeds. Yeah. Yeah. It comes with a uh, uh, approximate analysis, so we know the moisture content, the oil content, the protein content and the, the uh, ash content before it arrives. We do a further physical inspection. We're looking for as clean a uh, sample of black seeds without any red seeds, which uh, would, would tend to indicate that it's been harvested a little immature. Well, to, to the uninitiated mm. eye, it looks pretty good. Yeah. The seed arrives, and we tip it in here. This is mm. a, a covered uh, floor-level pit. It's kind of like, like a variation of a cattle grid to look at. Everything can fall through and get directed straight into the mill. Lorries uh, come with a grain sock, so there's very little, uh, well, there's no spillage. It's conveyed immediately out into the silo outside, which holds 150 tonnes. Mm. Would you like to see it? Yes, please. So we're going outside, still spitting with rain, but there's some blue sky, and we're standing next to the enormous silver silo. Ed, you were saying that there's an auto automatic process that transports it from when the lorries dump it down there yeah. into the silo. Yeah, so it goes, uh, well, this is basically where we have our raw, uh, seed supply on site. You switch on the intake system and it's uh, conveyed and elevated up into the uh, silo. The plant itself has separate day bins which uh, automatically fill. You can smell the oil, and, and it's, um, I would say it's got a slightly sweeter smell than normally I'd associate with, um, with rapeseed oil. It's lovely. It's really lovely. I can now see a mini conveyor belt going, which I presume is how the oilseed rape gets into this building. Yeah, so if you look above the presses, we've got three presses. Each have a capacity of uh, 500 kilos an hour. The bins above hold six tonnes of seed, so enough for approximately 12 hours. 
and they fill automatically. So when the bottom probe says the bin's empty, it switches on an automatic refilling system, which takes the seed out of the silo through a sieve and up into the bin above. It all runs through gravity into the press. The vast majority, if not all, of the rape meal that is available for UK animal feed is produced in plants where they use a solvent extraction method. They break the seed and boil it with a hexane, which drives off the oil, it acts as a solvent to drive the oil out of the, the meal. It's got almost no oil left in it. Our process is a, a mechanical extraction. We actually use uh, pressure to crush and burst the seeds to force the oil out of the seeds which means we leave about 12% oil in the meal. Basically the seed falls in here, it goes in through a magnet, you know the last thing we want is any metal in there. Oh I see of course. So that little screw conveyor just slowly encourages it along right. where it falls into the capture hoppers underneath. Mm. You get the meal coming off this side of the presses which falls onto the three conveyor belts which takes it away into the blending plant and the oil is captured in the stainless steel vessels along here which also have probes on that when they get to a certain height it opens a valve at the bottom and pumps the oil away into the uh, crude oil tank ready for filtration. This is actually about as noisy as it gets. Is it? Yeah, yeah. How long ago was it that you installed all of this? How long is it since you started using rapeseed? Towards the end of 2015 when we, right. when we first started crushing. Yeah. We started with one press, but we built the plant to accommodate three. We've just added additional machines, just literally lifted them onto the platform into place because these are quite expensive. This is the Neo Pro, which is the, the meal straight off the press. We've taken the seed, we've crushed it, and we get two thirds of this and one third of oil. This is almost slaty and uh, flaky, huge flakes of meal yeah. with an almost leathery texture, but crumbly at the same time. The cold pressing process produces a flake, the meal in a flake form. That's 30% protein, 12 to 14% oil. Mm -hmm. So whilst it doesn't look oily, mm. the oil is still, you know, encapsulated within the matrix of the of the meal. Oh, I see. Yes, um, yeah. It looks very, it does look very dry and quite quite looks, crumbly. Looks but quite dry, yeah. But when you analyse it, it's, yes. it's it's actually quite oily. It's worth more nutritionally because it's got that extra energy content. So the fact that you've got higher nutritional value left in that meal, mm -hmm. what benefit does that deliver on a dairy farm then? Okay, so in a high-yielding dairy cow, particularly in early lactation, when intake is the limiting factor, they need to use very nutrient-dense ingredients to enable the cow to produce an enormous amount of milk that she starts producing straight away. That's really where we get the benefit. This is the highest energy ingredient that we have. Yeah. It's about yeah. 15 megajoules per kilogram of dry matter. There isn't any other ingredients that offer that level of uh, energy content. 
apart from when you look at pure fats. Yes, yeah. And um, high-yielding animals in particular are monitored so carefully through robotic systems, for example, that it's easy to, to monitor that yield and see the knock-on benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if you can't feed the cow enough energy, she will strip it off her own back. Yeah. Which leads to problems with getting back into calf and all that, all that type of stuff. So yes, absolutely. it's really key to produce a diet that is meeting her nutritional requirements. I can see a huge number of different Norvite blends in the, as you can picture the white sacks that seed, that you would imagine seed and fertilizer to be stored in. And then as I look to the other side of the shed, I can see about six or seven different compartments with concrete panels, each containing a different ingredient by the look of things, and a really large tractor just heading right for us at the moment. Don't worry, we've got the high vis on. Yeah, no, safe. even though it's raining, this is we're in the middle of a normal harvest in Aberdeenshire. We've got, uh, I think, barley here coming from over near New Deer straight off the combine from yesterday which was actually quite a nice uh, day for for combining so we're just moving from one shed into the next one it's similar but on a maybe an even larger scale and the bays are bigger the the pile of meal is bigger and as you can hear the noises are increasing as well so we'll find out around the corner why that is we're uh, we're busy crushing barley over there we mix uh, feed in this machine here in eight ton batches quite a simple operation really we use up to 10 different ingredients a lot of them locally produced so we've got uh, sugar beet oats distillers grains from Strathclyde this is wheat feed from Kukodi we do have uh, one or two more exotic uh, ingredients like flake maize and peas which we get from Yorkshire and molasses which goes on everything and uh, obviously minerals that we manufacture over an inch uh, incorporated into uh, all of the feeds that we make. So this is oats. Oats are uh, starting to get a little bit harder to come by for animal feed. They're having a a major renaissance in the human food market. So for making into animal feed, we tend to get the ones that aren't quite good enough to make flaked oats for human food. We think they're a great ingredient. We don't need to process them. We use them mostly in sheep feeds and lamb feeds. And and actually oats or corn, as it is called in the northeast of Scotland, was the mainstay of uh, sheep feed uh, historically. And not actually many other companies that use oats uh, in their feed, but but we do and they look fantastic in our blends. This is pretty much... There's actually two sources of distillers' grains left in Scotland now. One is from the North British Distillery in uh, Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. These are from the uh, Strathclyde Distillery. They're getting very expensive mm-hmm. because they're quite rare. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're a uh, lovely product. They're actually made from uh, the distillation of wheat mm. to make spirit. And they're yeah a paler but larger version of the uh, the sugar beet pellets. Yeah. yeah. Which is. Um, uh, the I don't know what that noise is, but um, making, is he emptying he's something? He's just yeah. making sure the bin's empty. Definitely empty now, I think. Yeah. It strikes me that everything that we've looked at comes from fairly close by, and I, I would think that that's one of the philosophies and the, the ethos behind the Norvite business. Would that be true? And can you tell us a bit more about it? 
Yeah, very much so. We, we uh, have always uh, endeavoured to produce feed that's made with locally sourced ingredients wherever we can. Obviously, the rate mills, uh, the neopros uh, produced very, very locally. So, yeah, so the neolat is, is, we've talked about how it's so crucial for sustainability as well as for very many other reasons. And you work with local farmers who are all close by to produce that rapeseed for you, mm-hmm. rapeseed rape. Yeah, yeah. The alternative to, to rapeseed meal is soybean meal, which we've discussed. That was previously coming from where exactly? Soya is either from North or South America. You can also buy maize gluten meal, usually from North America. Sunflower extract, which comes from Europe or Eastern Europe. Palm kernel, which comes from Indo, Malaysia, you know, Indo- Indonesia or Malaysia. Gosh, yeah, so, so look on uh, the ingredient list from companies that are making feeds where they're located near ports, and they'll mm-hmm. tend to use a basket of imported products from yes. all over the place. But contrast that with the 15 mile radius that all of your rapeseed comes from. Ed, we've seen, we've literally seen tractors coming in with deliveries. We've seen your storage facilities. We've seen the press. Can you now show us the, the finished Neolac product? Yep, it's uh, just outside. Excellent, thank you. Are you superstitious? My mum would be, but I'm not. not right, okay, we go, that one then. This is Neopro. This is Neopro, And yes. this is Neolac. Ah, from a distance it looks like tiny slate flakes, but obviously when you get up closer you can see it's got a, gr- a much more of a greeny colour to it, almost flecky, green and black flecky. And if you've used, if you've ever used rapeseed oil in cooking, there's there's a definite resemblance mm. from the smell. They're not the same, but, you, but you, there's a definite resemblance. I think you'd, you would identify the the, the mm. rapeseed oil within there. So the process that we use obviously breaks down the larger flakes into more of a crumble without turning it into a powder so it's easy to handle yes should flow well out of uh, a bin without breaking into a, a meal where you can it falls through the the tmr typically fed as part of a tmr ration and if you have very mealy ingredients they tend to fall to the bottom in a regular quantity so it stays mixed along with in with the ration else, so. yeah, yeah so this pile this is ready to go as it were that's ready yes. to go yes yeah, yeah. This is On Farm Scotland, where we showcase the very best of food and rural business. I'm Anna, and I hope you're enjoying being with us so far. We've just been hearing from Ed Smith from Norvite, who's taken us around the production plant where he cold presses locally produced oilseed rape and other ingredients to make his Neolac animal feed. We also spent some time in Ed's office, away from the loud machinery, and Ed told us how his Norvite journey began. I'm from a family farm in uh, North Yorkshire. My first uh, job, once I'd done a few years of travelling, was as a nutritionist at a company called Farmway in Darlington, a cooperative, where I worked for three years before I was offered a job up here with uh, Norvite. After um, a few years, I progressed through the business to some extent. We managed to get the opportunity to do a management buyout in 2005. We've added a retail business, mobile milling, additional blending plants, in addition to our core business, which is manufacturing mineral supplements. So, yeah, in in the last 14 years, goodness me, we have uh, trebled in size. So we're up to about uh, 75 staff. But do you see that the management buyout was driven by more by your passion for 
the nutrition side of the business rather than your desire to run a company? I think it's probably a bit of both. In large part, it was a desire to be kind of self-employed. I've felt very fulfilled once I got into that position. Yes, and you've obviously stayed extremely hands-on in terms of the product development and and the nutrition side of things. So that presumably is a conscious choice because that's what you love. Well, very much so, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of companies are run by accountants these days. Our company is run by a nutritionist, which is, you know, seems obvious because we're an animal nutrition company, but it's very often not the case. We're very passionate about making a difference, helping our customers to improve what they're doing at a technical level. And we hope that that generates loyalty, which demonstrably it has. It has done. And do you, you work with a, a cooperative of local farmers? Do you organise haulage or do they have to arrange delivery? The supply chain uh, is quite key, actually. One of the idiosyncrasies of our uh, particular method of crushing and particularly of filtration is that we have to have the seed at a very consistent moisture content. And so we got in touch with a local cooperative called Aberdeen Grain, which has a large store about six miles away from here. They have approximately 42 or 43 farmers who store their oilseed rape, around about six or 7,000 tonnes that they store there. And so we got a secure store of seed, which is six miles away, which is grown in about a 10 or 15-mile radius of the store. So it's like probably the shortest supply chain you can ever imagine. Fantastic story, isn't it? Compared to hauling oil from the other end of uh, the UK. But I probably would stress that our product is is not more expensive than soya. Soya bean, being the major protein used worldwide, tends to be the benchmark price for protein. So our product has to reflect that value. The major benefit, though, in using Neolac, you not only can replace the soya that people are using on a kilo-for-kilo basis, but you almost get free of charge 120 grams of protected fat or oil. Protected fat is also an important ingredient in uh, dairy rations, particularly for cows in early lactation where they're in um, an energy deficit And traditionally, they have used palm fat. And as we know, that is also a major no-no because it tends to be grown in uh, tropical regions where they're uh, removing uh, natural rainforest to grow ever-increasing amounts of palm fat. Much more than soya, the supermarkets and the retailers are putting pressure on their supply chains to remove palm fat from not only from animal feeds, but also from food products as well. I think what I also love about it is that it's it's a story of the Scottish farming industry working together as well. You know, you, you, you're working with a cooperative of arable farmers to produce a product that's perfect for the dairy sector. Yeah, well, that's another thing that we really like about it. You know, I have to say it's a, it's a really positive story, not only for the northeast of Scotland, but for, you know, the, wide, the wider uh, Scottish market. We just hope that people will 
recognise that and support us. But Ed's well aware that hope is not enough for farmers to change their tried and tested routines, especially when working to tight margins. No, evidence is what's required. So Ed worked with Kerry Cartwright, a final year honours student from SRUC, Scotland's Rural College, to carry out a rigorous trial, with some of the cattle getting fed Neolac and others getting traditional soya-based feed. It was uh, over a, a long period of time where we did a crossover trial from the soya diet to the rape diet and back onto the soya diet yeah it's really good to have that uh, those numbers because we, we're not into doing things on an anecdotal basis no, either you know uh, it's very important for us to have the confidence to take this out to the marketplace the college themselves were very much involved in the um, scientific design of it the statistics have been really thoroughly interrogated you know, the, the data ir- is irrefutable. The researcher Kerry Cartwright, who led on the trials, unfortunately too busy to speak to us in this episode, but we felt she definitely deserved a name check as she's such a vital part of the Neolac story. However, while we'll have to catch up with Kerry on another occasion, the last part of this edition of On Farm Scotland takes us to the farm where the trial took place. Dairy farmer Bruce Mackey agreed to test out Neolac on his dairy herd near Peterhead. The results were very positive and it's fair to say he's never looked back. We are at Middleton of Aurora, which is Aurora Dairies, and they produce uh, an extremely delicious yoghurt that uh, I think, if you're lucky, you'll find it in Morrison's and a number of other independent outlets. The most important thing is that they feed their cows Neolac. So thank you very much for having us. Sorry we're a little bit later than planned, but we we got really carried away. We had a fascinating time at the plant. Ed and Bruce have known each other for a long time, I think, so it would be great to hear them chatting about the working relationship that they've now formed. So, Bruce, we're standing here next to cow number 2458, and you've got some wonderfully smelling silage in your hand. Um, Can you explain how that forms part of the diet? Yes, silage, to people that aren't farmers about it, we harvest grass and we compress it in a big pit, and add a, a bacteria to it so it then pickles itself. So it, it's effectively like a preserving something in, in vinegar. So that gives us um, feed for, throughout the year for the, the cows and able to preserve some of that spring freshness of the, of the grass. What we're looking at now is what we call a, a partial mixed ration, a PMR, which we feed to the cows along the, the feed phase. In addition to the... Um, to the silage, we've added draft, which is a, a distillery byproduct, and also to that, we've added some barley that we've grown on the farm, some minerals and vitamins supplied by Ed, and the neolac itself. So that's all fed in a single meal package there to the cows. Yeah. So Bruce, we're in in the robotic parlour at the moment. We've got a little face peeping in. She might be about to come in and get milked. Ah, here yeah, we go. Now, here the we go. Is... So the robot, the robot's identified the cow, and the first thing it does is it uh, washes the, each individual teat twice. What we're doing here is we're watching two counter-rotating, so circular brushes, going round and cleaning each um, teat in turn. So just going round there. The cows are bedded on sand, and, and I think that's part of the thing, keeping the other really clean and that that greatly helps. Now the brushes have um, gone to the side 
We're now watching a little uh, red line of a laser just uh, going across the, the udder at the moment and finding the teats. So the robots run um, 24 hours a day, or nearly that. They, they wash themselves three times within that period. But other than that, the, the cows have sort of free access to come in day and night. And now all, uh, well, uh, three out of the four teats are now connected and the cow is milking. And how long would she normally be there each time she came in? Could be here about five minutes. She certainly looks extremely content. This system depends on the cows coming in themselves. And if they weren't content, they, they wouldn't come in, yeah. would be the, the reality. You produce yoghurt from, from this milk, as we've mentioned. Who, who is the biggest customer of that yoghurt? We have a number of different customers. Furthest north is the Northlink ferries that uh, oh, yes. go from um, Aberdeen to Orkney and Shetland. And we have a, a few distributors who take it uh, down south. Farm uh, shops and delis are, are a big market. Yes. And would you say that those customers are showing an increased interest in your sustainability and your carbon footprint and therefore the inputs on this farm? We're beginning to see more and more of that. I mean, you know, the, um, the, the, the first thing is you've got to produce a delicious product. Yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> but then those other things become more important. That's the, the exciting thing is that, you know, we're a new brand. So, you know, those are the things that we can be because we're new. We, we haven't any inherited baggage on the, yes, exactly. on the back of there. Forge your own part. And, yeah. But also, you know, the, the yogurt sector is quite a, a crowded one. And, you know, how do you, do you differentiate yourself? And part of that thing about being open and showing people their cows and welcoming people on farm. And you know, not only just to see the cows, but in terms of the, you know, the wildlife and the um, conservation measures we do, it's all part of that package. And you get that free with every pot of yogurt. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, let's go up onto the gantry overlooking the, oh, sure, the, yeah. the dairy. I've never actually done this in a, on a dairy farm before in terms of standing on an elevated platform. So we've got a, an overview of more than 200 animals some of whom are lying down looking very relaxed, some of whom are queuing to get into the robotic milking parlour. It must be quite useful, this, Bruce, to get a clear sight of exactly what's going on and, and who's doing what. Is, is that why it's here? Partly. Um, we're standing on top of one of the robots at, at the moment on a platform here with, with our office just next door. It's certainly been a, an advantage in moving into a purpose-built building with all our cows under, all our milking cows under one roof. Previously, when my father expanded the herd, it was through a, a range of traditional buildings and he would have filled in the gaps between buildings with, with other ones. But it allowed for lots of little dark holes for mm. cows to hide and uh, not so easily seen. The history of, uh, of this shed is that uh, we built it about, about five years ago uh, with advice from um, uh, Vetvice, uh, a Dutch uh, cow welfare consultants who have a, a program called Cow Signals. So Cow Signals uh, was developed by Joop Driesen and Jan Hulsen, the, these two Dutch vets, who thought that they were going as vets to too many farms where they were seeing sick cows. And what they really wanted to do was to get to be in sort of the forefront of preventative medicine, really, I suppose. Mm -hmm. 
you created an environment and you taught farmers how to, to look at cows before they became ill rather than, than afterwards. The first time I heard of cow signals, I thought it was a little bit kind of airy-fairy. And I uh, must admit, subsequent to that, I've become a bit of a, a convert to the, to the whole thing. But uh, one of the things that they felt was that too many uh, sheds were being built by people who knew about concrete and steel and not enough about uh, cows. So they hired two more vets just to do building design for dairies. And so we got uh, uh, one of them over here and we looked at different designs and, and such like. What we have here is a, a cow signals design shed. And the roof itself is something that's quite, quite unusual. I can best describe it as a sort of tiered roof, um, obviously with ventilation at each level, but it is quite unusual. Yes, um, part of the discussion of the sort of evolution of the design of the shed was a, a discussion with uh, Jamie Robertson at, at Aberdeen University. He said it was very difficult to get enough ventilation uh, across a shed that was, was 40 metres wide, which this one is, it's 41 metres wide. Part of that is to provide a, a light, airy environment for the cows so they, um, to thrive in, really. Yeah, absolutely. So you've highlighted, Bruce, a number of the different aspects required to, to maintain optimal animal health. And of course, one of the most obvious ones is feed. And I know that you were the trial farm for the initial testing of Neolac. Can you tell us a bit about how you got involved in that and why, what your motivation was? I think, you know, the motivation was, well, one, at a most basic level, we have a shed here, which is a mirror image on one side and the other. And so it lends itself to doing a trial work in it and very similar cows. And also the robots have so many different parameters that we can measure in terms of weight, in terms of their production and, and such like. It's a very controlled environment in, in terms of that and therefore I thought we could help to provide statistical reliability and, and such like. And obviously you know, Norvite's a, a local company to here and we're very keen to, to work with our neighbours and, and farm together. We've spoken with Ed about sustainability and the, the wonderful local supply that he has all of the 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 seed rape for the uh, neolac comes from within 15 mm. miles so there's a hugely strong sustainability story there did that factor in to your to your reasoning as well absolutely if you look out of the uh, out of the building here you can see that we've planted um, hedges along along there and then as we look down towards the river yugi in the distance there you can see little bits of uh, woodland and full of native trees and things so that the environment's very important about what we do here on the farm in terms of environmental improvement and things like creating um, uh, wildlife corridors so that we can link small areas of habitat to the river but I think as well as you know thinking about the environment on the farm the environmental impact of how we buy in our inputs and things is is also important to give a, a complete picture on that we want to be producing a product which is healthy, that has been you know, sourced environmentally. And you know, soya is not the solution. The other thing is that many diets might have a, an element of palm oil in them. Yeah. And we know yeah. that our customers as farmers include people like Marks and Spencers in Iceland, who have been very strong in taking palm oil out of mm. what they're doing. And this is absolutely correct. 
there's an absurdity to the fact that you know, rainforest and orangutan habitat might be destroyed for something that actually we can produce here, you know, that should be produced from grass and what we can grow on the farm. And therefore, you know, that's what was really a driving force in doing the trial with the Neolac to see if we can make our uh, production more sustainable. Mm. I think it might be great to bring Ed into the conversation now and he believes that times are changing and that the sustainability thing is very much at the forefront but actually will continue to be so whereas perhaps some milk buyers at the moment don't place it at the top of their priority list that is changing and that therefore more and more people will need to look at using a local Scottish grown alternative. Yeah absolutely and um, it's clear that this is the direction of travel in you know the whole food supply sector. I hope that uh, we can let more people know that we do have a locally made alternative uh, available now. The other bit that, that we haven't mentioned so far, but that's also very important for us farmers, is that you know, we're at the moment at a point of, of really tight margins within the, the dairy industry. Here's a product which is competitive on price, so it does a good job, it has the same uh, nutritional benefit, and it's not costing us any more, so there is no excuse sort of mindful of a, a neighbour of mine who was asking how the dairy was doing up here and, and things and I was saying it's not the easiest at the moment with milk price and, and such like, there the were different challenges. His comment was that um, tough times make for better farmers. It means that we have to go and um, search out you know, new ways of doing things and better ways of doing things. That impetus, you know, means that you have to work with people who can work with, develop new solutions, better solutions to problems in order to, for our businesses to go on. So, Bruce, thank you very much for hosting us today. We're going to finish off the episode now just with some final thoughts. I'd love just to hear from you how you believe this relationship between Wara Dairies and Norvites is forging a path and inspiring other people within the farming sector. Well, I think, you know, as, uh, as we move forward, these relationships are going to have to become stronger w- with all our suppliers and using the, those technical skills to give us a competitive advantage. And our relationship with Norvite is, is part of that. So probably build on Bruce's uh, anecdote, I would, there's one I, I remember from someone who will be very well known to Bruce, the, great, the late, great Maitland Mackey, who said, no change, no chance. That's really, I think, sums it up. We're delighted that Bruce gave us a chance to show what Neil Lack could do for his herd. The trial work was, you know, was hard work for them, I know that, but uh, I hope that they um, were glad and, and thought the uh, effort was worth it. And uh, we look forward to uh, the opportunity to work with uh, other similar-minded dairy farmers around the country. Huge thanks to Ed Smith from Norvite and Bruce Mackey at Rora Dairy for taking time out of their busy working lives to speak with us. And thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. You can find the On Farm Scotland, that's everything food, agriculture and rural matters in Scotland, or Farm for short, wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to showcase your rural business in On Farm Scotland, email me at anna at seenandheardpr.co.uk. Take care and see you next time.